Hi, everyone. Welcome back to In Her Wallet, a podcast by women for women, where we demystify the world of money and investing and give you the power to take control of your life by setting yourself up for solid financial futures. Thanks to all of you who come back every week to listen and learn alongside our growing community of women all on path to financial success. As always, today I'm excited to bring you a new episode filled with actionable advice that will put you in control of your money and not the other way around. I want to start off by sharing the incredible feedback I received from last week's episode on emotional spending. As expected, this topic was dear to many listeners because we all love to spend money from time to time to cheer ourselves up. Nothing wrong with that, right? As we discussed, moderation is key. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so right after this one. Anyways, one of the feedbacks I got was from my close friend who recently gave up smoking Juul. And after listening to an emotional spending episode, she mentioned to me that she realized that quitting e-cigarettes was a big win not only for her health, but also for her wallet. That regular expense was accumulating daily and weekly and monthly. She said to me, Sophia, forget about your $5 daily coffee. This was three, four times that. And I mean, yes. Small expenses like that under $20 can add up quickly without you noticing that, especially if it's an expense you're psychologically attached to. And this comment got me thinking, many of us incur such regular expenses, yet we rarely go as far as evaluating the full picture. How much does smoking e-cigarettes cost me on a monthly? quarterly, annual basis? How much do daily coffees cost me? How much do I spend eating out every month? How much do I spend on wine? How much does my rent cost me every year? What percentage of the annual salary does it make? And etc, etc. So you might be thinking, Sophia, calculating these numbers will take away from the joy these things bring me. Or I don't want to count how much I spend on XYZ because I know I can afford it. Or, you know, some might think that even the thought of sitting down and making these calculations perhaps gives them anxiety or makes them feel bored. And if you feel that way, I get you. I've been there myself. We all remember my story about Zara. But when I got licensed as an investment professional and was working closely with high net worth clients, and some of you might know I used to work at Canaccord Genuity, recognized as the leading wealth management company here in Canada, I saw firsthand that the knowledge of these numbers is what distinguishes people with real wealth from the rest. It's a special skill that they use regularly. What do I mean by that? We always started our new client onboarding process back when I used to work in wealth management industry with what we called a discovery meeting. The purpose of the discovery meeting was to get a full picture of that person's financial situation how much money they make, how much money they owe, whether they have any assets or large debt balances, what their savings and investing balances are, etc, etc. I would often do about 10 meetings like that a week. And quickly, I noticed that there are two types of people. Those who keep track, almost like a regular pulse check of their personal finance situations, and those who let their money go on their own without 
them having even an approximate guess of certain balances, such as their savings rate per month and their percentages that they're paying on their debt. Because again, a lot of people feel scared, bored, anxious, or lazy to do so. And I was very lucky to see that firsthand because it helped me realize that even those people who make a lot of money and can afford a financial advisor or an investment advisor to manage their money may lack soft skills that are so necessary for building wealth. One of those soft skills is keeping track of your numbers when it comes to your personal finance. What is the outcome of this skill? How does it make your life better? It lets you be in control of your money. It lets you manage and spend your money wisely. Not less, this is very important, not less, but wisely. It gives you feelings of security and confidence. And today I want to teach you this skill. Because doing well with money has a little to do with how smart you are and a lot to do with how you behave. When I worked in wealth management, I often saw people who on the surface were making six digit, seven digit numbers annually because they were unique in their work, uh, running a big business or working for a large corporation like Amazon or Microsoft. Yet, they lacked behavioral skills to help them do well with money they earn, so they would often have debt or a low savings rate. So what I want to say is that no matter the intelligence level, anyone could build significant wealth if they have the right soft skills to manage their money. So I hope that the outcome of you listening this week's episode will be you starting to keep track of these five important numbers I'm about to describe, which will help you make more informed decisions and accelerate your wealth building journey. So I want to start off by saying this. The numbers I'm about to describe are important because they are the blood and the heartbeat of your financial well-being. They are the foundation you need to have in order to become financially independent and live a secure and happy life. And trust me, once you are aware of what these numbers are for you, you will automatically gain more clarity and confidence when it comes to your personal finance. As with birthday dates, your height and your weight, your cycle, we easily remember important numbers. So I want you to approach these numbers I'm about to describe to you the same way. I want you to remember these numbers when it comes to your personal finance and regularly check in on these numbers to see whether they are increasing, decreasing or stagnant because the state of these numbers will determine how well you are doing with money and whether you are on the right track to achieving your goals. So let's dive in. First number is your take-home pay and your fixed expenses. Let's start with your take-home pay. It is the money you get after you've paid taxes, deductions, after you've made automatic contributions with your employer, if you do those, it is basically the sum of money that gets deposited into your bank account each month. Now, your fixed expenses are monthly costs that you incur every month and these costs do not change. Fixed costs can include your rent, your mortgage, your car loan or student loan payments, your internet and phone bills, your medical insurance if you're paying for one. So basically, all these basic necessary expenses that you know you always pay. Now, why is your take-home pay and your fixed expenses number is important? Because when you subtract 
fixed expenses from your take-home pay, you will arrive at your disposable income that you later use to save, invest, and spend on things that bring you joy. For example, if your monthly take-home pay is $3,000 and your fixed expenses are $2,400, that leaves you with $600 per month off that disposable income for things like groceries, entertainment, shopping, travel, etc. Assuming you're doing this as I'm speaking, you've probably arrived at your number now and are either thinking to yourself, I'm happy with this number, or it wouldn't hurt to increase it to give myself more wiggle room for saving, investing, and other needs. By the way, if this is you, I have an exciting episode coming for you next week featuring a very special guest. We'll talk about getting those raises and promotions at work as the year end is approaching. So excited for it. Make sure to follow our podcast so you don't miss it. Now, let's move on to the second aspect of personal finance. You should remember, this is your credit score. These days, only a lazy TikToker hasn't talked about credit scores, honestly. Info about the importance of it, how to improve it, when you might need it, etc. is everywhere. But what I want to highlight for you is that knowing your credit score down to the dot is not the key. It is enough to remember what bracket you fall into. And credit bureaus in Canada usually divide it into five different brackets. Poor, fair, good, very good, and excellent. Of course, you want your score as high as possible. But if you're in the upper tier, you don't need to stress out as much. It is pretty easy to find out what your score is. Usually you can access it in your online banking for free and at no harm to your score. Saying this because I've been hearing a false narrative saying that if you request your score report, it can affect your score negatively. This is not true. So as a customer of Scotiabank, their app lets me track my score very easily. It is updated once a month, which is always like a game for me personally because I want to make sure I improve every time. The last report I got showed that my score increased by 8 points, which was great. By the way, if you want me to create a separate episode on how to boost your credit score, let me know. Now, let me explain the importance of this number. Credit score is like your passport into the world of money that shows you are a responsible and trustworthy person. It is used by different companies when you're making large purchases, and some companies might even check it when you're being hired for a job. Checking a credit score and knowing your credit score is a way for these companies to ensure that they can do business with you and you are not an unreliable client. If you have a low credit score, you will probably get a worse interest rate on your loan or not get one at all because you fall into the category of risky customers who might not pay money back. Having a good score does the opposite. It opens many doors for you and lets you have better terms. So we discussed two numbers already. Let's move on to the third one, and it is your savings account balance. As I've said before, building wealth has little to do with your income or your investment returns and a lot to do with your savings rate. To access your savings balance, you should add up all savings you have that you set aside for future goals or just as an emergency fund. It can be money in your savings account, cash, emergency fund, piggy bank, or any other place you might be stashing your money. The bigger this number, the better. The episode I did a few weeks back called Saving versus Investing, which route should you take? 
talks about current rising interest rates and how paying off your debt balances right now is equal to 22% investment returns. I encourage you to listen to this episode if you haven't done so because it can help you save a lot of money. Anyways, once you have your savings balance number, you can take it a notch further and calculate your savings rate, not the balance, but your savings rate, which is how much of your take-home pay you are saving. Let's go back to the example we discussed a little earlier. If you're making $3,000 every month and your fixed expenses equal $2,400, you're left with $600. Imagine out of those $600, you can afford to save $50 a month. This equals to about 8.3% savings rate every month. It's not ideal, but this is already a great start. What you can do is work towards increasing that saving rate. So you eventually get to 15, 20, and then 25%. This is considered to be the gold standard. One of my favorite books called The Psychology of Money says, wealth is just the accumulated leftovers after you spend what you take in. And since you can build wealth without a high income, but have no chance of building wealth without a high savings rate, it's clear which one matters more. So I encourage you to look at this number and adjust accordingly. Either save more or keep the same rate at which you are right now. The second to last aspect of personal finance you should keep track of is your investment account balance. If you're investing your money either through an online brokerage or an investment professional, Checking your balance once every two to three months is a good idea if you're investing for the long term. Doing it too often will do no good because it will stress you out and you most probably will not see many changes happen in that time frame. Not doing it at all is simply irresponsible. So there is a gold medal, if I may say so. Keeping track of this number is important for two reasons. First, you're able to track your investment performance and adjust accordingly. And second, it gives you an idea of how much of the money that you work so hard for is actually working for you. After you've built up a significant savings balance, this should be the ultimate place where you transfer your money for future growth. One of the biggest takeaways from my time working alongside the real investment professionals who manage millions and billions of dollars is that good investing isn't necessarily about earning the highest returns because the highest returns tend to be one-off hits that cannot be repeated. Good investing is about earning pretty good returns that can be repeated for the longest period of time. That's when compounding runs wild. So checking your investment account balance, perhaps to ensure you're constantly adding money to it, is very important. And finally, the fifth number is your net worth. A very fancy word, but don't be intimidated because there is a simple meaning behind it that applies to all of us. Net worth is everything you own minus everything you owe. I like to look at this number as a measure of progress. If you're in your mid-20s, likely your net worth is negative or not significant because you're just starting out your wealth-building journey and perhaps have student loan debt. But as you save, invest, pay down your debt, and acquire things of value, your net worth should grow. A negative net worth means you have more work to do, while the higher your net worth, the better off you are. You can track your net worth over time to gain a very clear picture of how you're doing at building wealth. If it's not increasing, that's probably a red flag and something you should pay more attention to and make some changes. 
Now you know the five important numbers that show you how you're doing with debt, how much of the income you earn is discretionary, how prepared you are for the future, and how close you are to becoming financially independent. Perhaps your evening activity today or on the weekend with a glass of wine to make it more fun will be to sit down and figure out your discretionary income, your credit score, your savings rate, check your investment account balance and calculate your net worth. All in all, this shouldn't take longer than 15 minutes of your time. What's 15 minutes? It's like one third of uh, a Selling Sunset episode but way less drama and more positive influence on your life. I recommend you to keep track of these numbers as you work towards improving your financial skills and creating the life that you want. Once you have these numbers in mind, then keep them in check every month. You'll always have a clear idea of your financial picture and you can make adjustments as needed to ensure you're on track for a secure financial future. With that said, I thank you all for tuning in and spending this time with me. I want you to smile at yourself right now for taking the time to learn and grow today. I wish you a wonderful morning, day, or evening, wherever you're listening to this. And I look forward to next week's episode with our first ever guest speaker. See you then, ladies.